welcome back to a special solo episode of Squawking Dead. It's a me, Dave, your solitary host for the evening. If you've been paying attention to the last few episodes of Squawking Dead, it's clear that Carol's interest in Fear of the Walking Dead has waned the closer we get to the Walking Dead airing. To the point where we both agreed that if she couldn't even spend the energy to take some mustard or righteous burn against it, then she might as well use the extra time to spend bringing home the bacon or channel that energy she would normally use for the show towards spending time with her family or uh, you know, with her kids and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's October. It's Halloween season and for parents and small children it's kind of bigger than Christmas right so what I'd like you to try to do with this episode depending on how it goes is give you a chance to get your headsets ready because if the banter is good enough I'll send you a link to join me on the podcast we're almost a year into Squawking Dead and we're extremely open to new ideas yeah even having guest hosts on and you never know something like this might lead so perhaps a co-hosting in all future episodes of Fear the Walking Dead is in your future change of career opportunity for you um it's also our last podcast before we go full throttle into the walking dead season nine so uh it's our 30th episode the 31st will be our the walking dead season nine episode um and a little bit of housekeeping um is kind of like an order basically for those of you who've been watching the fear of the walking dead it's a perfect opportunity to kind of go through the season match it up with the the season finale basically take stock of the entire season and uh it's probably a good way to kind of just close it you know bookend it really nicely before we move on to the walking dead so while you're dusting off your headsets take a minute to like subscribe ring that bell for notifications and follow us so you're always on top of any news blog posts and overall fun stuff did that sound too advertising yeah well, you know that's what happens um but yeah so um just so you know we don't really um we don't really like post a lot of stuff on instagram that often or facebook or even uh, the twitters uh it, it's kind of like a couple times a week uh usually on average uh and yeah really just to kind of get the word out on the next podcast or when uh when it goes out on Apple, Google, uh, Google, um, Google Play Music, and you know SoundCloud and all that stuff, uh, but yeah, you know, obviously, when you if you do subscribe, if you do like, and if you do um, if you do follow us on Instagram, at least you do get notifications when we go live. So that's kind of brilliant. Uh, and as a result, you kind of get a notification when we pop on. Uh, you'll also get notifications when a new, you know, an edited podcast goes up and stuff like that. It's mostly just for that. So. Uh, we start off the episode with Althea basically trying to escape the hospital. Uh, it seems like she was hiding out at a at a post office, and she's just trying to figure out what, how, where the gang went, and you know, because she lost um, battery on her walkie. Uh, and lo and behold, we find Martha. Um, oh man, my notes are out of order. <laughs> This is what you get when you when you do note taking late at night the night before, and I have to tell you, I've just way too many notes. It's, it's a point of criticism that anybody can really have with me, and let's bring that up here. Yeah. Okay. Now she heads back to the hospital uh, after hiding out the post office, and the first thing first thing she encounters has no idea what's been going on this whole time. Doesn't know about the crisis on the roof. Doesn't know what it took to get them to escape. All that stuff. The cheerful, cheesy kind of return to pick up Morgan. All of that stuff is lost now, Althea. And 
what we've got is we've got basically Althea that knows nothing, runs back to the hospital. It, one thing about Althea that I'll, I'll say is that she's kind of like an inspiration in a weird way. She basically uh, is kind of like the biggest badass on the show aside from Morgan, if you really think about it. I mean, both people are kind of like outsiders if you if you really kind of take stock in how what their moves have been. Um, Althea's kind of more with it. I think she's when you when you really kind of take stock of Althea herself is she was used to living in a war zone or living in war zones, kind of living on her own, never really making any attachments. And she was like that before and after the apocalypse. So when you break it down, you see that um, she uh, she's a badass bitch. And Morgan, you know, I don't know what life was like for him before the apocalypse, but, you know, he had his kid, he had his wife, and, um, you know, Althea's in it to win it. Now, I think both both of the people, both the people I'm talking about, as a result of what they've been through, you know, Althea throughout her life, she's gotten used to it, and Morgan, she he's been getting used to it. Um, it's, it's kind of like a recipe, because you have a situation where, like, what does it take for somebody on the outside to come back to the inside and realize that they've been missing out on people? And Morgan's kind of, fi- you know, getting used to it, but Althea, actually, when we really kind of get, get down to it, she's used to people, so she can interact with them, but she's not really used to being around people, or like being a part of people. So, it's it's kind of one thing I noticed when I when I watched the episode for a third time, and started doing notes um, last night, uh, and it's something to kind of take into stock as you go through the episode, because that's it's kind of important, because the, the two people that stand out the most in this episode are going to be Althea and Morgan, because these two people kind of exemplify the two last people to kind of really speak their truth unnecessarily. Althea never really gets a chance to speak it out loud, kind of like everybody else, the things she ver- advocates throughout the season. However, she does go through something, and you do kind of notice it in the show. It's very subtle. It's not even mentioned in Talking Dead, but you do see like signs of her, well, signs of basically the writers basically trying to um, show that she's an outsider, show that she's like not really a part of the group. So the first thing she sees when she heads to the hospital and turns around with her shotgun is Walker Jim. Again, not knowing where anybody is, what anybody's doing, uh, she basically, that's the first thing she sees is Walker Jim. Now, she didn't expect it. She didn't know he was even bitten. But uh, there he is, rocky like a hurricane. And she's kind of confronted with that and Martha at the same time. But she kind of quickly snaps into it. And she she's basically not about to do Martha's bidding as Martha wants to leave um, Morgan a message. Uh, but the interesting, th- interesting interaction that you have with Martha and Althea is that she recognized the things that I'm kind of saying about Althea in this episode is that she is an outsider, but she doesn't need help. She can carry her own. She knows what she's doing. She, um, she must have watched all the tapes. And she gets an I- the idea that Althea can take care of herself you know she can she was able to take care of herself right from the beginning before the apocalypse she's never needed help and really if you do go by the tapes and not by real life interactions from this entire season you would get the picture that Martha's painting about Althea that she's uh, self-involved that she really does anything that she needs to do around her subjects to do what she needs for herself and doesn't really rely at all from the tapes just reviewing those on others to carry her own she has her van she has her wits she has her skills she has those those fist daggers that she has and she's able to take care of herself and you know you could easily take that scene on its own and, and say why would Martha you know why would she spare Althea and, but if you really think about it crazy people got their own rules so so I think at the end of the day you kind of have to take it on gospel that this is what's going on and, and this is what it's all about but I mean you kind of got to give crazy some credence at the same time and part of that is really kind of analyzing the situation it's kind of like laying, laying out Althea's life according to the tapes, which is basically Martha's entire perspective. And again, she's an educator. She'll pick up on things, you know, so when she sees a subject and she has to basically teach it, uh, 
I think I think she has a good read on people, try to assess people. I think that's what she's been doing since the beginning of the apocalypse. And it's kind of what we do see when she reveals a little bit of her life pre-making um, people stronger. Uh, and it's that uh, we had the impression that maybe the stuff that was going on with her and her husband Hank on the side of the road at mile marker 54 was um, already in medius rest of the apocalypse. But it happens to be that the when we cut away to the walker she had killed um, way down when Stevie the trucker was leaving the boxes, apparently she'd been out there for a really long time, which kind of furthers my theory or of what I wish they, they had done with Martha's character to kind of tie the entire season together is that I kind of wished that Martha was responsible. And I mentioned this in the podcast last week, but I, I, since I have a little bit more of an audience, I kind of want to mention it today. I kind of wish they spent a little bit more time. First of all, this is something Carol had said, and I absolutely agree, is that I wish they'd spent more time fleshing out the, to- the period of time between Martha's Martha losing Hank and Martha meeting Stevie, Stevie the trucker. Because if, if that was the time period between um, her falling into madness and then all the way, um, and, and I mean, or who knows when Stevie the trucker came around and started, you know, drop happened to drop off that box on mile marker 54. The thing about that is, is that we, we really don't know. We don't know if this is in the beginning. All we know is that it was the time it took for a, a walker body to, to go absolutely dead, or absolutely like bones almost. And who knows how that, how long that was at the, um, oh, thanks, Sean. Hey, nice, nice call, buddy. Um, that's Nashville Negan, everybody. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so that's, and that's the thing about that. So the one thing that I kind of wanted them to kind of utilize is maybe just a time anchoring device possibly is having Martha actually having started the fire that took out uh, Mel and Ennis's farm, their family farm. I mean, you kind of expected it to be Ennis and Mel that had start that started the fire. We all had that suspicion, kind of like going into it. Oh, typical like horror scenario. You, you have the two boys, one of them's a bad boy and started the fire, but nothing really came of that. And having Martha start, start the fire kind of links up everything. I mean, it makes her responsible for everything. It ups the stakes to an absurd degree. And, you know, if, if you'd fleshed that out right, you could have made this villain a lot more formidable, challenge the idea of the kind of person that could be saved, and maybe Morgan would still go after her. Um, you never know. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, um, well, maybe they didn't want to take the risk. Maybe they didn't want to go too big. I mean, Martha's already stretched being as crazy as she is. But um, given the fact that, you know, we don't really know what led to the way she kind of ended up, really, not really. I mean, you kind of got the sense of it, but it's not enough time passing. So, um, yeah, so we see Althea escape, basically. And of all things that she ends up finding, um, oh, actually, you know what? You're right. I was right the first time. Althea's escape was right from the beginning. She, she ends up finding the news van with the camera of all things and uh, yeah and before um, Martha basically uh, passes out um, from uh, Martha's blow with her bow staff um, Morgan I mean Martha uh, you basically get the sense that uh, you know she's almost done for but you know, when she wakes up in June in John's van you kind of like uh, she, she even got the, the impression that oh psychopath bitch uh, basically likes me so what does that say about me and that's kind of like what I was saying before um, I think all of this starts to plant a seed, a seed in Althea about how I mean her interaction with Martha is kind of like a seed that get, gets planted in Althea. Not just Althea, but us, but mostly Althea, about how the rest of the world views her as an outsider. I mean, she, get what, she gets what she wants, goes off into her corner, and she realized that perhaps like Morgan, that she needs to be with people. We never see that more than when she rewatches the tapes, just like June did to John, realizing that she could have connected more with her subjects. And and you do see this at the end of the episode, that she's, she's doing anything to connect with somebody. And you also kind of get the sense 
sense. You know, obviously we had that interaction between her and June, but you get the impression that yes, she had people she cared about, but but really, when you think about it, did she really interact with um, her subjects? I mean, I think in her own weird way, she she um, you know she cared for them, and maybe she kind of protected them the way um, off camera, obviously the way she does with this group. But in as much as you know, they're they're a subject. I think maybe being with our group right now was probably the only time she had really bothered um, you know getting more involved. Like after all, when they were trying to finish off the vultures, you know, you have people calling her out. You know, if, you know she doesn't want to get involved. She doesn't want to get involved with the subject. She's like, you know, if you if you help us out, you know, you can get more of the story. You know, we can continue on with with the rest of the story. And I, I mean, there's a little bit of manipulation there, but at the same time, she's getting involved. She's she, it's not just about it's it's not only about the story at, at a certain point. It can't be. I mean, she has layers after all. Um, but yeah, uh, another thing to notice aside from the camera that she happens to pick up, the one thing that happens to be in this parking garage, is that the very car she ends up using to get to Martha, Martha uses, and it's a police car, um, you know, the quintessential, what we classic, classically normally think of as help. You know, you call for help, you call the police, right? So I thought that was kind of inter- an interesting choice to uh, to use. I mean, obviously, there are lots of police cars in the apocalypse, but uh, or like, sorry, in, in a hospital hospital parking garage but um the idea of uh Althea taking it uh to around where the hospital is Martha taking that um cruiser from her Martha takes that all the way to mile market 54 and by the time she meets up with Morgan Morgan takes the same cop car it's the same usage of the police cruiser um all throughout the episode practically uh, until it really couldn't be used anymore I mean it, there's a lot of poetic license um being thrown around when help is being uh, like the vehicle for help is being used to you know cruise around the entire episode by by an outsider sandwich i mean martha althea and morgan so that it's really kind of interesting to see the way the different ways that they use it and by the end of it you know when morgan is basically using uh you know basically has martha in tow and that vehicle for help gets trashed i mean this is basically martha's ultimate plan i mean it's useless now and it kind of solidifies the point that there's a lot of foreshadowing in this episode when it comes to um when it comes to this the the way the way it was going to end up going down with Martha it it was never going to go the way that she had planned it and I think we all kind of well I think most of us probably knew that I think Morgan was going to have to make a choice at some point and maybe it wasn't quite the way we thought it would be but I think in our heart of hearts there being a season five I mean if Morgan was going to go out the way he was going to go out I mean let's say Morgan dies or or had died um, the way it goes down uh, the way it would have gone down was would probably be in a way that um, he he saw at least found some sort of peace because I, I don't think that would sit sit well with viewers much at all so um so yeah i mean one way or the other it wasn't going to go the way martha planned because i don't think martha i don't think that sends the right message about the apocalypse i mean especially going into what's going to end up being a, a really complex the walking dead season nine so you know uh that's this is the way i feel about it uh so everybody's kind of like gathered around in this kind of tree growth in the middle of a field at night in the dark around a fire and more Morgan's kind of describing Alexandria and and basically how things are going to get, end up going for the next um, you know, 12, you know, how things are going to move forward, how they're going to get to Alexandria, what they're going to do. 
And I, he mentions that the first thing that he wants to do, because he does want to continue doing the, the care boxes, is head over to um, the Polar Bears truck stop in Mississippi, the flip-flop truck stop. And um, he wants to continue leaving care boxes all the way down to uh, towards Alexandria. Um, and in the process of kind of uh, settling things over, um, Morgan decides to take the night shift so that, you know, uh, so that basically he can do his own thing afterwards. And John kind of picks up on his attitude right away. He knows he's being squirrely and, and he kind of meets him in the middle of the night. And what's really interesting about that scene is, first of all, hats off to Adam Sushitsky because the guy knows how to cinematically paint a, a scene. Um, as John is kind of standing facing Morgan, you know, Morgan's basically squatting and, and playing with his bow staff and, and, and the ground kind of kind of like a child almost, you know, like, I'll do it myself. Um, uh, I mean, literally, I mean, if I was a religious man, I'd say, God bless John because the way um, the rays of light kind of kind of shoot through the trees, you know, the moonlight kind of shoots through the, the trees and bathes John with this kind of, you know, this kind of uh, really cool glow and, and everything. It's just such a really perfectly framed shot. And, and it, it, it was just worth noting because it's, it's just kind of, it, it, it's just kind of beautiful. And it kind of paints John as this, you know, obviously the way cinema works is that it, it's not enough to have the lines and have the look and, and have the convincing stare, but sometimes a scene painting just goes a long way and what John is kind of really convey is you know we've been through this before he's willing to go through these kind of motions with Morgan over and over again to kind of just show everybody how how loyal a person he is now what he doesn't do is try to disrespect Morgan he doesn't try to go past um, his charge basically he doesn't try to shoot above his head and try to make him do things it's kind of like think of the differences between um, the way the cast of The Walking Dead acts towards people versus the way um, um, and especially Morgan versus the way um, this crew this Fear the Walking Dead crew reacts towards Morgan they kind of hold him in a higher regard they respect his decisions they'll challenge him but they're really appreciative and really loyal to him as well and the one thing that, that shouldn't go past anybody's notice is how um, how respectful they are of his decisions no matter how much they want to challenge him and as mu- and you could regard his their standoffishness as a sort of um, oh he's an outsider you know I shouldn't expect too much from him you could do that you could get away with that but I think there's a tremendous amount of respect for Morgan. The way he's managed to kind of weave his way into people's hearts um, and and do incredible things for them. Like the, the thing that he did with Alicia at the stadium, um, basically preventing her from getting June uh, in the end. Um, her quest to kind of, for vengeance, to kind of kill everybody, the Vultures and June and Charlie probably. Um, but that's the thing. Like with doing so little, um, in, in subtle ways and in huge ways, Morgan took some interesting uh, at-bats with the group and his batting average is really high and people do respect that and especially the kind of friendship that he's developed with John it's kind of afforded John a little bit more leeway he feels like it's he could speak up more and he does speak up and he wants to let Morgan know that we've been through this before you went at it alone you almost got yourself killed and even though he goes through the motions giving him solid reasonings why he shouldn't do it he recognizes something with Morgan and he says and he and he knows that he has to do this sort of thing alone he knows that there's a part of him that's kind of stuck and he needs to get himself unstuck you know and of all people to kind of understand that I mean John would John understands what it takes to what it means to kind of sequester yourself for the sake of trying to you know not really um, hurt anybody else or to to really sequester himself to kind of you know be be a protector in his own way by protecting other people from him so when it comes down to it uh, he gets it uh, John basically says it comes down to kind of like saying you know there's some fish you just have to leave be and that's adorable and 
and uh, and the bottom line, he, you know, in the process of appealing to him, he says, uh, you know, you might as well be the fish, you know, and says the fish that you know, basically Martha's Martha's got the pole, and that Morgan fish is tasty. And, um, you know, basically, um, the one thing that really, the one, one thing that's really not obvious that I want to make obvious as a result of this conversation is that despite going through all emotions, despite, you know, not despite, but kind of in spite of, um, the respect they kind of have with each other, they, um, the one thing that really, the real takeaway from this conversation is that, in, in, um, is that as opposed to Morgan, basically, the, there's a lot of comparisons to the way Morgan reacted to Henry back in The Walking Dead season eight. The idea that he, um, that he might have turned when he ran away and, and when he let all those those people out of the pen and, and he almost got trampled and run over. Um, Henry did not want to know Henry. Uh, sorry, Morgan did not want to know Henry's fate. I bring this up a lot during the season and it makes sense because Morgan was so warped about the idea of finding Henry as a walker. He didn't want to find out if he was dead or alive. So he kind of just made up any excuse to not have to look for him. And the one takeaway to kind of really bring it home how adjusted John is, um, is that no matter what he wants to know what happens to Morgan because the thing is that they're they're all going to meet at Polar Bear's drugs uh, truck stop and what he says is that you know we're going to wait 20 you know we're going to wait 48 hours if you're not there in 48 hours uh, I'm going to come looking for you I ain't going anywhere without you and the most important takeaway from all this is that is that in spite of how he might find Morgan he's going to find him either dead or alive but he's going to find him and I thought that was kind of important too you know it kind of shows the lengths to which people care about him the right way to do things Carol tried to show that to him as well, and she tried to express that too. And seeing Henry alive does kind of change Morgan in a way because we don't see like a killbot Morgan as a result of this con- that conversation with um, Carol. So I think that does change things a little bit. Um, okay, so yeah, he's on his way to f- to meet Martha, Mar- Martha, Martha and Mindy. Um, and uh, again, bring up the idea of the fork in the road, um, that T in the road where he can go left or right. And Martha says she's at mile marker fifty four, basically where it all began. Uh, it kind of represents the kind of choices that Morgan has and and he ends up meeting her there but um let's take a stop at the flip-flop truck stop um yeah the one thing to notice also planting a seed of you know everybody's trying to recharge the batteries their proverbial batteries uh Charlie's brushing her teeth and um something to note is that yes um everybody's kind of trying to do their own thing but Athea's kind of still hustling she's on her own loading up the guns and ammo and you know her turret guns and again you know she's kind of doing her own thing and um and what's interesting about that is that the guy at the truck stop, you know, as they're trying to recharge, um, you got Luciana, Strand, and Alicia. They're all looking at Polar Bear's map, and they're already kind of discussing maybe not going to Alexandria. They're kind of trying to find reasons to maybe stay, find a new reason to live that doesn't involve having to take that long trip. And I, I thought that was kind of an interesting scene to kind of put in. Like, I, I guess they're trying to say, you know, maybe we're not ready to let go. Maybe we're not ready to kind of give up on this place. But the more they think about it, and, and throughout the season, they've been like dropping seeds and hints that I mean, even from the second episode, I have to say, or was it the first episode? Yeah, I think it might have been the first one. Um, yeah, with Le- Leland and the Pilferers, basically, uh, where Morgan basically, as John said, almost got himself killed. Um, you start to understand that there is nothing out there. Things are dire. The vultures did not make things any better. So any people that are left around, they're probably scattered and holed up. Uh, all the other people are either corralled up walkers with numbers on them, t- indicating how many there are. There are people in sparse locations 
rations. There's not enough food everywhere. Things are running out. Even on The Walking Dead, they're making it. They're making note that things are running out. They cannot. I mean, the things that are stocked up in in um you know um uh, unperishables, they're running out. Um, rot, you know, f- food is obviously rotten, and the people can't live like that too. You, know, you got you got to sort of start making things. You got to start growing things too. And so even in The Walking Dead universe, this is happening. You know, and so with with Texas, you know, their their region in Texas, it's kind of like and Texas is a huge ass state, the Lone Star State. You start to understand that resources are finite and there's barely anyone out there. I mean, Texas got hit. So um, it's just not good. And after the hurricane, uh, it's even worse because now you've got things scattered all over the place. You got people who don't have, um, I mean, if people haven't already died from all of this, um, whatever they've got, crops, whatnot, they're gone. Uh, their house is practically gone. Yeah, there's really nothing out there already. And with the hurricane, everything is kind of more, there's less of <laughs> whatever there wasn't out there now. Um, and they kind of reestablished that. They kind of established that at the end of the last episode with John Dory saying there's really nothing out there. Um, and obviously they can't stay in Austin because it's overrun. So all roads kind of pointed to Alexander and I think they were just trying to find one more reason to stay. Okay, so I, I kind of wanted to review this one. <laughs> Wait, I... This episode can't go on without taking a small look, at least, at the John and June scene. I mean, aside from the other part, the first part I kind of have to get over with is that the the interaction that, that they try to have, uh, that June tries to have, basically letting him, letting him know that, you know, I needed to let you know that I figured out who I am, and it was no small part to you. Uh, I was having a hard time already trying to reconcile the person I became with the person I know I know myself to be, basically. And basically, and I think the idea, I mean, the things that we mentioned in previous episodes, trying on John Dory's boots, Madison's jacket, the idea that she can incorporate some of the th- these things in her life. And maybe these are things that she maybe always had inside of her. I think it just takes a little courage to kind of put them on. And so when she um, confronts John, she's basically letting him know, I know you don't think, I know you know me, or at least, you know, you have an idea of me, but I need you to know that I know me too, that I'm not going to be a problem with me. And so I-, I think that's an important in a relationship too, because it's one thing when you know somebody and you know their ins and outs and their quirks and what they're going to do and how they're going to feel about something and how they're going to react to any given situation. But I think it's also important. You can only do so much to, I guess, circumvent or, you know, anticipate people's needs and reactions. But if the person you're with isn't really comfortable with themselves and isn't comfortable with all those things, it doesn't really matter what you do. It it kind of matters where you are in life and being comfortable in your own skin and, and, and having the wherewithal to basically move on from where you are to be something more. And so June recognizing that means that she can actually lean into what she's got with John and there's nothing holding her back. And then of course the line, you know, I know you. Doesn't matter what your name is. Doesn't take a whole day to recognize sunshine. And oh my God, everybody just had a heart attack. Like a heart, their heart skipped a beat. uh, And then they realize, oh, it's not there anymore because John Dory melted my heart. It's times like these, I'm so glad that my wife does not like Fear the Walking Dead or The Walking Dead or any horror show whatsoever, because I'd have a hard time trying to hold on to that one. Until tomorrow, obviously. I mean, she already liked um, Garrett Dillahunt from Raising Hope, so there's that. I'm like, what, Jim, what? Okay, no, Morgan uh, is finally at mile marker 54, and the first thing he notices is the police cruiser with Jim in the back seat. Perfect place for a walker, um, or anything that might harm you. Uh, so basically, yeah, it's continuing the theme of this 
police police crews are changing hands and um, uh, thank goodness for Morgan because he ends Walker Jim uh, and I think um, Aaron Stanford Stanford could really stand to um, not be in that makeup and uh, contact lens kit uh, he's been through enough um, being on a ledge almost uh, I mean looking at him on that ledge kind of made me kind of exhausted so with that goodbye Aaron Stanford and the, I mean the first thing Morgan sees off in the business the, the business the business <laughs> he sees Martha's business what she he basically sees Martha off in the distance uh, in the field where she buried her husband and she sees her face he sees her face down now I didn't kind of really gather what what she was trying to do at the in the beginning because I kind of just you know crazy is crazy and you don't tr- you can't try to explain it but um, after actually looking at the behind the scenes photos that um, Tanya Pinkins actually posted um, one of the things that she w- that they were doing the props department was doing was um, or the makeup department they were actually squeezing on like um, like maggots like live maggots in her chest wound indicating that what she was trying to do as um, Martha was keep her skin on the on the ground where her husband died where they're you know eating her up and trying to get the maggots to infest her skin on the chest and when I found that out that's like next level commitment but obviously by the end of the, the episode you, you start to realize that oh it gets worse um, you know all this into account but yeah um, uh, at the end of the day like he basically <laughs> drags Martha to the cop car to, to bring her back we don't know um, at this point that she's too far gone but um, back at the flip flop trip the flip flop I can't even say I can't say it with a straight face the flip flop truck stop um, can you do that 10 times fast anyway um, so they're trying to actually reach Morgan uh, in the cop car and they can but they he can't reach them and it's, it's good to note that Sarah notices that right away but um, she also makes a snide comment about the coffee sweetener that, that um, was put in the coffee meanwhile yeah antifreeze um, yeah and, and just as that's happening you know you see you cut to um, Althea filling the uh, the MRAP with uh, coolant you know making a comment about Smiley um, running on, on running the car without it so um, but the one thing to kind of notice that the, the, the more important thing beside this is to kind of understand that she's um again you have this scene with her and strand and strand is kind of like stop dicking around and help us out with the boxes further exemplifying the idea that you know she's she's like not part of the gang and like strand singer is dicking around and, and not doing something useful you know she i mean meanwhile she's been out, out at the truck the entire time being apart from everybody um you know filling up coolant filling uh, you know refilling the ammo to the guns and and basically you know it's let me just see something really quickly yeah she's basically standing apart from everybody and it's worth kind of noting again just as Althea is kind of like dealing with Strand's comment you get some walkers coming and then you realize or Althea slowly realizes that like you're looking at her and you're like what's going on why can't she move her hand what's the deal Uh, and she basically is sick uh, and needs assistance and basically you find out that everybody's getting sick and it's not just her even though she was apart from everybody she still drinks water so um, back at the cruiser Martha's kind of opening up as the flip-flop truck stop is getting overrun and um, she tells Morgan about Hank being out there from the beginning trying to get help after he got into the accident and just you know to the point where she got clipped by a car nobody helping her um, nobody pulling over to, to even try and you know Morgan tries to reason with her that him dying was not her fault her not being able to get help was not her fault and you know people are people you know she could not even there's there's just no way she could have helped him um, and June just then June kind of chimes in and 
then Martha kind of knows what's going on. Uh, June basically tells Morgan about the, how sick they are, and the tension starts to ramp up, and then as Morgan steps on the gas, um, Martha realizes, oh, it's, you know, I gotta get him now, or else he's not gonna, while well, he's doing something crazy. So, she decides to take the antibiotics, or wants to take the antibiotics, quote-unquote, um, you know, refusing him the first time, kind of ignoring him, and in the process of him passing him off to her, she grabs his arm and they crash, thus ending the vessel for help. Um, now, Morgan's dilemma, as he's kind of coming to, Martha explains, basically, you're going to be strong no matter what, one way or the other. And um, she, unlike the other um, people that she writes on, she writes in clear, plain text um, the words, I lose people, I lose myself on his forehead, which is kind of interesting also. And, and kind of what I was mentioning before at the beginning of the show, there's a little bit of foreshadowing in what he's doing, because as he's doing it, as she's doing it, you start to realize that the only people she's really drawn on the face of people that she's just killed or have been killed and um, it's in a style of kind of calligraphy kind of telling you that um, Morgan is not going to be dying in the scenario and that still doesn't mean that he's not going to do the other thing which is kill her that you don't know that for sure but there is an indicator that she's not going down um, or that um, sorry that that Morgan's at least not going to die she's never put words on the faces of anybody who's still alive so um, what she also reveals though is that she like and bite her you get to see a little bit of that um maggoty stuff that i was talking about before um now her logic is basically that he either has to kill her in order to get back to his friends or not even like he's just not going to get back to his friends in time after all of this and he's going to have no choice but to kill her as a result of losing people um or um she waits for he waits for her to turn anyway because he doesn't kill and stand by his principles and he has to take the chance of getting killed you know death by walker and so so none of these are really good choices. Him being incapacitated, you know, he has he's got like a thing just in the side of his leg that's just will not rebar, but like a piece of the car basically embedded in deep within his leg. Um, and so I mean that's where basically he's at. And uh, oh yes, so another thing to notice about these scenes, just as he's coming to, you start to hear the if you remember the scenes from uh, Martha's origin, and as as you go through the scenes with her and Hank, her post Hank, and then her bearing him in the little scene of madness all throughout these you would hear a small clink um kind of like a small tiny pipe a small tiny piece of metal clanging against like a like some pipe and every now and again it would get more intense and more frequent as things started the tension started ratcheting up and you start to hear it here as well like indicating that you know maybe morgan is you know under this tremendous tension maybe he is kind of in the martha zone basically where she was you know dealing with this with the enormous amount of stress of trying to keep these people alive and um and deal with the situation the possibility that he loses either way and then either way she wins basically um him killing her she wins uh him waiting for her to turn and then kill her she still wins because then he waits that that amount of time to take her out <clears throat> so you hear it now like clink 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 clink, 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 clink. anyway so um but all throughout this morgan is is adamant that he's just here to help her and and, and I, I mean in a way you can't you kind of believe that even though there's there's a part of there there's got to be a part of him that realizes i need to face this thing head on you know i gotta i gotta i gotta end this once and for all i gotta 
figure out how to move past this point. And um, and as um, and throughout the scene, we flip back and forth. Also, um, we've got we, we go to the flip flop truck stop, and then June starts to realize that all the caps, the water bottles, have been tampered with. Um, and Martha also reveals that um, it was antifreeze, and that it, she basically poisoned all those bottles with antifreeze. And she has to cut. And Morgan still can't communicate with her. And upon hearing this idea, you know, the, the what is ailing them, and the fact that he can't reach her is he does his best to kind of make it clear that you know to everybody to us the audience that this will not stand like he he's he's not first of all there's a part of him that kind of is stuck in the moment that he he needs to kind of deal with this with her at this point but he's prioritizing them he is he is doing the impossible he's finding out that there is something that he can do maybe that maybe they can actually find a way to 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 cure them and so whereas he feel he felt incapacitated before now he's kind of like doing the impossible he's getting up he's pulling the thing out of his leg and he's doing something about it and um and not only that he's doing more than he thought he would with it so when he gets up he tries to choke her out and um and she basically says now you're strong she basically says now you're strong i know it was i know it was still in you and he's he's you see him flash to like all you know all picturing all his friends dying at the truck stop and it, it kind of resembles the the Alicia's vision from Close Your Eyes, like the idea that you know she's trying to find ways. Like they both were trying to find ways to end the other person. You know, Alicia with like a mercy killing at the very least, trying to find hate in her heart, and Morgan now really trying to conjure up images of of people, the people that he's losing. And it, it's almost it almost works if not for the fact that he looked in the mirror and he saw what was written on his forehead and it scared the Jesus out of him. Um, yeah, and so and he he tries to find out how long it'll take for the poison to, to last but then she says it doesn't really matter there's nothing he can do and it's like almost in spite of her and you see this in earlier episodes as well when when he talks to her over the radio well, there was a couple episodes back uh, it's the same episode where um, I think June is with Althea and Althea gets sick um, Morgan is in the back of the truck on the radio basically communicating with Martha saying you know we're, like after after that communication he's like I'm gonna leave more boxes now I'm gonna I'm gonna leave make it a point to actually leave more boxes he kind of does the same thing here where upon hearing those words where there's nothing he can do he makes sure he can do something he gets up and you know he he hank basically handcuffs her to the cop car so that now that choice of, of her possibly killing somebody else after she's turned is removed from her and he just basically decides you know i don't i don't have to kill you but i also don't have to let you hurt anybody else after you turn you know there's some things that i will not kill you but i also won't want to live in a world where you can possibly hurt anybody else and she just cries like a little baby um, as he sets off on foot. Now, what's interesting about this entire situation that Morgan's in with Martha is that Martha, I think, in her own way, as an educator, let's say, basically, her whole goal is to unstick Morgan, basically. They both are trying to unstuck each other. Um, Morgan, you know, obviously with the no one's gone till they're gone kind of attitude, uh, you know, no one's beyond help, that sort of thing. But Martha also with her own philosophy, the philosophy that Morgan gets, you know, kill or be killed, you know, you rise up against me, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you twice as fast and not only that like but being alone and and just you know ending the helpers and, and people who think they can make a difference that sort of thing you know there are certain dark parts of Morgan that that Martha attempts to reach now obviously he's gone too far in this in this season to kind of really go back but she can definitely screw a guy up obviously she sees that on the videos and also this is at the beginning of the season too when when Morgan is the most vulnerable when she kind of meets John and uh, and Althea you know on the road I mean he's 
he's kind of only just kind of coming out of this fog where and he's starting to warm up with John, uh, warm up to John and, and all that stuff. But we're not nearly there. And that's kind of the that's kind of the person that Martha thinks she's dealing with also. Same as Althea. She thinks she's dealing with, uh, Martha thinks she's dealing with a person that just only does what she does for her subject, not really for herself. Um, you know, she doesn't really try to get help from them. She doesn't get to know them. And that's the impression that, that is left from those tapes. And so it kind of gives you a bigger idea of how people must look at other people. Think about it this way. You're at a grocery store. Somebody in front of you is taking a long ass time or somebody is dealing with a food stamp situation or a coupon situation, but or somebody's doing something that just annoys the hell out of you. But when you really think about it and you go on like outside tells, you really don't know what's going on with that person on the inside. I mean, you don't know the kind of day they've had. You don't know their financial situation. You don't know the kind of life they have. And you get some of these cues from Martha. Martha is only looking at the surface, the surface of people. She doesn't know who they are really. She sees that, yeah, there are base parts of society. She's an educated woman. You know, she gets, she knows the drill. She knows how bad people can be. She's a teacher for God's sake. She's taught tons of shitty kids. But the end of the day, um, you know, all Martha is really going on is surface cues. She's going on what people choose to show. She doesn't really go on what they have in their heart. She doesn't know what their their whole story. She doesn't know why certain people couldn't um, pull over on the road to help her. I mean, and who can blame them also, if you really think about it? When things are going down, people are freaking out. You know, you got to give people leeway, but at the same time, you know, it produces this this result. And we do see in the, at the end of the episode that, you know, if, if we could have just helped people like that early on, we wouldn't have the situations where you know you'd have these dire situations um where people start to turn into monsters and so you really start to see like you know that there is a there is an interesting thing about that and and it's just really telling and the, that's the interesting thing about morgan is that he's already got some of these attachments and every time you, you really start to see like what it means to have a deeper connection to know people you know when you have a connection to people you get to start to know who they really are rather than what they are on the surface and i think a lot of this season reflects that i mean the the ability for alicia to to look past what Charlie's done and get to know who she is. Um, Madison's unbelievable talent for tolerating even the most, you know, underhanded kinds of attacks like Naomi, you know, June as Naomi, basically almost ending her and I mean, being overall hostile, even in the face of, you know, trying to give her the most leeway and, and being hospitable and trying to get her to join. There's tons of tons of um, examples in, in this season where things could have gone sideways, but people moving beyond their perceptions, it not only reverses the situation produces almost unbelievable possibilities and you do see that from from um, episodes past where how did we get to a point where Alicia wanting to take Charlie to the beach gets Strand and Dory saved and and all this stuff and then Luciana saved because Morgan decided to write down the um, his radio channel on the boxes that he decided to start distributing with Wendell and Sarah and this was as a result of Alicia leaving him in the midst of a hurricane so everything that happens 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 um, because people start to move beyond their expectations of, of other people. The surface expectations, Martha could not look past. And so when you see Morgan start to rally every time he hears from the group or every time he um, every time he, he almost thinks that they're already dead and then somebody kind of chimes in, you see him rally again. You see him kind of just gather his strength. There's like more of a reason to live. And um, and that's important too. And like, it's kind of like no one's gone till they're gone. And you know what? Morgan is thinking to himself at one point, the radio kind of conks out. Morgan doesn't know what's going on. And so that kind of brings me back to the Henry situation, the John and Morgan conversation from earlier, where John is basically saying to him, I don't know, you know, after 20, after 48 hours, if I don't hear from you, I'm coming after you. I don't know how, what state I'm going to find you 
doing, but no matter what, I'm going to find out. And so that's Morgan by the end of this episode. And you start to understand that when you get to that point where Morgan is not even questioning, doesn't take, he doesn't even skip a beat when he doesn't hesitate. And all he can think of is I need to know what happened to this group, no matter what it's on me. If I can say them, that's great. I mean, before you were thinking, you might've been thinking as he was going on and, and stumbling and, and barely not able to get up. You were thinking he just needs to know that he can still save them. And even before with Martha, you're thinking that as well. Like he just needs to know that he can save them. There's a sliver of hope. I can still save them. I won't lose myself. But when that radio goes out, all bets are off. He could have just as easily just given up. You could have gone either way. There are so many th- times in my life, particularly, and maybe even the lives of others, where I've seen people when, okay, let's say your cell phone dies. You almost lose the hope of, of reaching, you know, if you really need to beat reach your loved one, you're almost like, well, I guess I'm not communicating with that loved one. We'll borrow a friend's phone. You know, log on to your contacts, you know, your iCloud, and then get her, get, if you don't know your loved one's number by heart, because that's a thing in 2018, you know, look it up on someone's someone else's phone, call them from their phone, ask a stranger. There are things that we do when even the smallest obstacle is removed that gets us to give up. But Morgan is finally kind of moving f- beyond that. And you saw him fold when, when things when things got too hot, when he was faced with the possibility of not seeing Henry alive again. And when you see him start to, well, not run, but kind of like a hop skip, well, and well, kind of a jump when he was trying to knock out that last walker on the bridge in that one scene, um, you start to understand that, that he's moved well beyond that. He is not in that. He's not going back. And just like John Dory said to him on the walkie, um, you know, like saying, I don't blame you, but but here's the deal. You're, you didn't you didn't kill her. You're not going to change. You're still who you are wh- when you are. Even long after we're gone, um, you're going to be who you are and you're going to help somebody else out. And yes, the radio ends right there. But those words, leaving on the on that note, even though it was a bitch of a note to kind of leave off on, um, that is enough for him to kind of go, I need to know what happens to at least my friend here. So he resolves himself to do that. Um, now, and so it kind of brings me back to the original point, and that's that Martha ends up unsticking Morgan unintentionally. She does like the best, I mean, I know it's a shitty thing, but she kind of does the best thing for him. She kind of forces him into a situation where he has to get over this. He needs to unstick himself for good. And I think it works here. Now, yeah, I mean, he's just facing his worst fear, losing people, right? Um, yeah. So now this is the point at which we kind of see Althea turning to the camera. Now, I was supposed to look at the notes because when when you see Althea, there's two times where she kind of reaches into a bag to try to find um, a tape, you know, one of the tapes she's trying to play to kind of see her life flash before her eyes. And I think she, there's a part of her that's looking at these videos and I keep thinking to myself it, it kind of the observation that I was making at the beginning of the episode is that she's fast forwarding through these things she's not looking at the, the details I mean I know there's only so much time that maybe she thinks she has but at the same time she's crying she's not really fo- focusing on a scene that for that very long she's kind of getting the idea the impression of the video but I think there's a part of her that when she's looking at these videos she's getting the sense of you know I, I could have done more or not not that I could have done more but I could have let myself be a part of these people I could have lived my life more a part of these other people. Now, there may be a lot of people that really thank me for helping them here and there, you know, as a as a kind of really nice person, a person that they can maybe rely on here and there. I mean, obviously she moved on, you know, so she didn't stick around, but I think there there is a part of her and, and you do start to see by the end of the episode that that part of her is trying to move on. Maybe she is trying to be a part of the group, but in that moment, I think she does realize that she spent all this time trying to document people, trying to treat people like subjects. Meanwhile, she could have done, she 
could have melted herself in more, integrated herself in more for these people. That doesn't say that doesn't mean that she doesn't have to, you know, make less friends. But it could mean that she um, that she kind of uh, makes more friends. Obviously, you know, she could pick, you know, she can move on, but at the same time, keep in touch, that sort of thing. But either way, I did miss out on the opportunity to take a look at those tapes to see if there were maybe any more Easter eggs. Um, so I apologize for that. And if I do find something, I'll definitely post it on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Submarine, um, the Moon, Mars, Jupiter, um, and Pluto, which is not a planet. Um, so the next scene we basically see um, after Althea is you basically get an idea that the, the group has kind of given up. It's kind of like, and it is kind of tropey. I have to admit, everybody's kind of given their last words, basically, you know, and they're kind of sad too at the same time, you know. Um, Althea is kind of giving her last words to the camera instead of the group, thus also further exemplifying the fact that she's the outsider. She, she doesn't give her last words to the group. She kind of gives it to the camera, the people that might encounter it, the people that potentially will keep those tapes safe and, um, you know, make them matter. You know, Sarah basically tries to get the last um, Walker kill count out of Wendell and he goes, not enough. Um, Strand's irony, just when he stopped drinking himself to death, it, he succeeded. <laughs> so the very thing that will cure him. Luciana thought she would get a chance to make up for what they did. You know, basically the quest to destroy the vultures getting Nick killed, you know, so um, and almost killing Charlie in the process too. You know, something that she may have regretted down the road. May have. <laughs> Not that I advocate for Charlie dying. I was never on that camp. But I will say one thing. Ooh, boy, oh boy, did we I not understand her for a little while. Um, and Alicia basically says to Charlie, um, you know, sh- that she thought she'd get a ch- second chance. And then Charlie reminds her that at least they got to see the beach. She goes, yeah, you did. Not quite like that. More like a feverish and almost vomity kind of. I'd vomit, but I'm too tired kind of look. Um, and then y- you hear the truck outside and you know it's Morgan and he's kicking some ass and taking out all the walkers single-handedly um and lo and behold morgan has the solution to everybody's problem augie's ale and just like that sarah says you know in the next frame uh, that's twice jimbo saved our keisters cheers you asshole and i thought that was kind of interesting uh, i always thought that uh jim's character kind of went off with a whimper rather than a bang and the idea that his his beer kind of saves everybody's ass is kind of an interesting thing like one more little send-off for him the and also it kind of does get people to kind of get together in camaraderie it seals deals it, it gets people to kind of um talk together and, and and smooth things over and that's the thing like after sarah says what she says about jim you know gives him a little l'chaim right uh you see in the next frame strand and alicia and he goes there's a time and this really got me i actually started tearing up uh he said there was a time where i thought i had nobody to share a drink with anymore and um he looks at alicia looks down and and, and you start to realize i got it. all these people even charlie um that i can drink with and um i don't have to limit this to my special friend and maybe he was doing that all this time also because i think it it was his way of or actually really madison's way of saying i understand i understand who you are i understand that you need to be a certain way um or you needed to be a certain way in this world or prior to this world in order to survive meanwhile that doesn't mean anything anymore strand has kind of evolved past being a certain way and and only certain people getting him now he's got like a whole family of people who kind of just get him for who he is the dark kind of humor that he kind of evokes every now and again the poet that is kind of shady but um but there you go i mean that's the thing um and you got john <laughs> and the interaction with john and you do see this thing with john and charlie there's this kind of father daughter kind of routine first it's kind of like um and this on the school bus it's kind of like a uh you know i know you haven't met me before but i'm your uncle you know you come onto the scene where he's trying to try to tell charlie you know this this drinking thing this is a one-time thing like bottom line don't get poisoned again until you're 21 he kind of looks like this father figure 
and you get the sense that like you know maybe this John June thing this Charlie John June thing is kind of like the beginning of a family maybe the family that she needs in this apocalypse and I kind of want to get the idea of from you guys of what you think about this this idea of this kind of I mean it, the pieces kind of fit Charlie's going to be an odd duck but she's going to be a good odd duck I mean like who has a kid that reads nobody reads you know but again I guess what um what else is there to do in the apocalypse I mean she's got a lot of potential though if she is a heavy reader I mean she could be better than all of them in the end you know uh reading books the key to the future maybe but uh, i i kind of like this idea of this family getting together you know this kind of odd couple or this odd trio let's say um and then you have luciana looking at the neon sign for some reason thinking of polar bear because i get this is why you want this is what you wanted i get why this is what you wanted and hope for the future that's really what it comes down to and um you see uh morgan <clears throat> morgan and uh and um all of them basically heading back to where morgan left martha and it's kind of grisly man you uh she basically severed her arm off her own her whole arm off while she was alive to get away so that she could be a walker and hurt people and in the process of doing all of that or managing to eke out this one thing at the end she managed to scratches into her own forehead strong now i didn't see this at first i didn't see this until um talking dead actually and then i actually saw it um in tanya pinkins um instagram what it looked like or at least what it started to look like before the tons of blood but um that's just something else like and here's the thing what's really important about that scene and i'm glad they did it is that i mean obviously you know taking out martha reaffirms certain principles that morgan has you know like basically i'm not gonna let you harm anybody else but it, it shows how committed she was to being stuck you know and if there's any indicator that morgan ha- doesn't have to go back to who he is like his experience of martha's level of commitment to clinging to her own stuckness shows that there is a level deeper to what morgan was going through like it, it would have been one thing it to go back to that that level resembling Martha resembling Martha but there's a level deeper and you'll never get to that so and you're not even you, I don't think you you're even familiar with that level of stuckness and so I, I think he has a, a frame of reference now that like if it wasn't clear already that when he was running back to John after his walkie after um Morgan's walkie gave out uh, I think it's very clear at this point that if there's there was any doubt that he would never go back to, to this idea and and that's the thing when he wipes away the words from his forehead it's never more clear um that the uh uh i lose people i lose myself the writing that martha had put earlier and um but wendell's kind of like wondering from morgan after he ends martha that um hey when we going back on the road and then that's when morgan starts to break down i mean break down a little bit emotionally but also break down that you know it's not enough there he's basically saying that there are tons of people out here that that if they're not savvy enough you know if they're not quick on their feet enough they could end up like like martha and we need to take care of the people out here right now and and make sure that they're okay now he he basically he he tries to explain the group he's that he's not trying to um abandon them because you start to see that in their faces that that oh he's gonna leave again morgan shtick you know he's going out on his own but he asks for the the polar bears journals from luciana and he wants to explain and and in the process of going through it he he basically says you know show don't tell and he shows um polar bears where we're basically the idea of clayton um the idea that clayton got where it came from and he was basically a trucker for this denim factory out you know out of the way basically and that's so telling because um when you're out of the way you can have all these thoughts and you have these ideas on the road and etc and um i think the biggest thing about the stadium the most obvious thing and i kind of thought this when when um fear the walking dead came out and you saw episode two you realize that like yes as as nigh impenetrable that the stadium is it's garish it's accessible it's in the it's it's in the middle of everything it's what i was thinking at the time is 
is like, oh, that's a prime target. People are going to know that that exists. People are going to want to stay there or people are going to want to take it over at the very least and or die trying. You know, there's going to be, it, it almost as if it's, it attracts walkers. That's the way the sound carries, the way it presents itself. It's at least walkers, but definitely people. And and in the idea that, you know, most highways and roads are going to lead to it. With the denim factory, it's the exact opposite. Yes, it has it has the same kind of dimensions. It has um, four walls and a ceiling and a door. Um, and it's huge. But also has the advantage of like being so out of the way as to really not rouse suspicion, to not really, you know, get passersby on the road. And it's also kind of buried off by these natural barriers. And so there really gives Lens a lot of promise to season five because, you're in this this new kind of arrangement where you can still kind of have you know try to do the things that you're trying to do with all these journals so you know where things are and then now he's basically explaining to everybody that you know you don't have to join with me yeah and then Sarah and Wendell join in and says it's not part of the deal and he goes you know nobody's forcing to be here but Luciana decides to basically tell him to shove it because you know what you did to Clayton led to him eventually dying so if you want to make up for what you did this is a really good way to start if you want to move on after that I mean she doesn't say this but probably i mean anything you do after that that's fine but like i think you want to be here anyway she kind of does to sarah and wendell what sarah was doing to wendell before she kind of just overrides them she knows how to talk to them um because there's a certain way you got to talk to sarah and wendell and then they'll kind of respect you i mean it, you know if you can't protect it it's not yours so in, in her own way luciana's kind of protecting their relationship with each other by just claiming it, claimers. Um, so Alicia also chimes in. She says it's just got to be more than more than about the boxes. It's got to be like the way Madison started it, taking people in, reaching out, going out of the way. And um, you know, Strand does does the smart thing of reiterating some of the earlier points. You know, where John was saying there's nothing out there, um, and it's that it's desolate. There's nobody out there. How are we going to know where to look? Texas is huge. Um, and Althea basically chimes in. She says, you know, I was embedded with a lot of people, a lot of different groups. Some of them not being in great condition obviously not helped by Althea did I say Alicia I meant Althea um and basically they Althea gives them the basis of where to start looking and um they all look at her and they go I mean basically they all look at her really funny because throughout this entire throughout the entire season practically they don't get her they don't understand her she doesn't really go out of her way to get involved um and she's shown that a couple times but I think they made they took extra um care to draw out the idea that she's an outsider in this episode maybe Maybe it's a Johnny come lately. Maybe you don't get that impression enough throughout the, the season. But at least in this episode, they, they did their best to kind of paint that, you know, to draw that out, to tease that out properly. Because the way they look at her, they're like, wait, you? And then she goes, what? I got layers. Which is a good, you know, reinforcing catchphrases. Things, the kinds of things that Carol tends to like. Catchphrases, let's stir some beef, um, accessories, um, behaviors, certain certain routines, basically. If you can comic book posterize um, a character on the on The Walking Dead or Fear of the Walking Dead, it just makes them that much cooler to her, you know? And and I think this is a positive. People start having certain sayings, like, I like new people or, or whatnot. It, you know, it, it doesn't really impress her. So, um, now, in the next scene, basically, you're seeing them um, having settled in there and, and heading out um, it looks like she, he you know they're all kind of taking the lead trying to you know save people you know they, they all have new vehicles or decked out vehicles newly refurbished vehicles and they're all kind of um, doing a thing and then Morgan gets on the radio and, and I, I have to say this because when Morgan gets on the on the on the squawk box and does his little spiel the first thing I thought of was and, and it's really screwed up because I saw a commercial for the newer version of this um, while this was airing i thought of the goddamn a-team <laughs> and 
And he goes, I don't know if any of you out there, don't know if any of you listening, but if you're, if you are, we're soldiers of fortune. <laughs> no, but if you are, hang in there. We're coming for you. And it's like, um, if you need them, they can help. And then the cool music. Um, but yeah, so the only, all the only things I wanted to mention were some things from Talking Dead, which were, um, there was a point at which um, they were showing kind of like best of um, quotes during interviews and bloopers and stuff like that. But one thing that kind of hit home for me was when Strand was trying to remember his favorite episode, and or Strand, Coleman Domingo. And he said his favorite one was basically um, the way he reflected on the last episode with all of them together, all the original cast from the first three seasons. Um, you know, Alicia, Debnam Carey, Frank Delane, um, Kim Dickens. That last episode where they were all in there together. And just the way he um, sighed when it came to uh, Frank Delane. He goes, oh, Frank Delane. What an unbelievable, you know, actor. And and, and by the way, in the last season, um, yeah, like on Talking Dead, they, he, I remember this one story he was talking about how they were basically partying out in uh, Mexico and how and they basically went out in this random party and they showed a picture of that night and basically it's it's the two of them with their shirts off and it it's just never been more clear that that how close that these two people have gotten over the last three years and you know nigh four years and it it, it was just so sad and and it kind of made me think of of what what coleman has lost and and having half of the people that made it you know through this journey with him um you know not be there anymore and um and the, the other thing that i learned from talking dead is about the new title sequence now what really screwed me up today was and i kind of want to get I want, I want to know what your feeling uh, is about this because I was really like mad when I saw this. Now, when I had heard about the new title sequence for The Walking Dead, I was fine and I'm really excited about the idea. Meanwhile, I basically told Carol and I'm, I still don't know what she thinks about it because the one argument she made about Fear of the Walking Dead was not screwing up with consistency. Like The Walking Dead changes the visual sequences. very. It's, it's in the same style, but they swap out some of the visuals. So it's still kind of sepia. It, it kind of flips through different scenes reflecting different characters or different settings that sort of thing but the way they kind of mentioned this new season nine of the walking dead title sequence is that it's kind of a revamp and i'm really pissed off not about that but somebody had either the walking dead had released it or somebody had leaked the actual footage of the title sequence and what pisses me off about that is that like it leaves no surprise it leaves no room for you to be kind of like excited so it's kind of like, like I see, I, I see the first few like seconds of this thing. I turn it off and I'm like, God damn it! You know, like I mean, I kind of. Why don't people like live in their excitement? Why don't they? Why don't they choose to live in that moment where they don't know what's going to happen? And and it really kind of bothers me because like like oh, and I'm like this old man on a, on my lawn getting on my soapbox and then falling because I'm old. But it, it's this idea of just like, can you just like deal with whatever excitement and anticipation and nervousness so that the rest of us don't have to deal with your bullshit? <laughs> because like, where's the surprise I mean it's like I, I don't like surprise parties you know why because you're just a nervous Nelly that needs to control everything <laughs> so it, it's kind of and I get that like I get it I mean I like to control things in my life too but I realize there are some things in my life that I just you know that sometimes you just gotta leave it to fate you gotta be pleasantly surprised you gotta deal with life gives you you gotta you gotta let the chips fall where they may and deal with them and yeah it sucks a lot of the time but like sometimes life can surprise you and sometimes those surprises are really really sweet because you had nothing to do with it it's i mean like think about it this way you hustle and you hustle and you hustle and then you get your reward that's cool and sometimes you don't but whatever
whatever. That's a whole other story. But isn't it a nice thing to hustle and hustle and hustle? And like one of two things happens like throughout the day. One, you get a reward that you didn't expect. And two, in the same day, you walk home and you find a hundred dollar bill and like a like near your car on on the tire. And you're like, yeah, it's covered in shit, but you wipe it off and then you, you deal with that later. And, and, and I... I'm looking at every single one of you. If you saw a hundred dollar bill and it, and it, the only reason why it's sticking onto the tire of your car is because between the tire and that hundred dollar bill is a piece of shit. I don't know one person except for maybe a millionaire that would be like, uh, that wouldn't take it. You would take it. You would wash it off. And I don't know why I'm talking about this, but the whole point about this conversation is that it's a kind of a sweet thing when you get something that you, you get more than what you put in. And, and this is part of that. It's like we put in the wait time, you know, we put in the t- anticipation. We want to know when everybody's supposed to know because when you when you know in advance yeah you get a fuck you, you get a haha i know something you don't but then you just show the whole world i mean it's kind of like a huge fuck you and yes it's the first time i've sworn tonight but then again i don't know if any of you guys are listening so I don't know. I'm pissed off about it. I kind of want to know what you think, though, because... And maybe I'm crazy, and that's fine. I, I, I live, I'm 39 years old, man, so I I, I, I deal with that. But I kind of want to know what you guys think. I want to know if you guys guys have seen it and or have seen the whole thing, because that's another thing. It's one thing to know that it's there, and you know that it's there because the, the music is the same, I think. But the other half of it is actually watching the whole thing through, and that I kind of have to fault you for if you have, because now you're... I'm not saying you're in the same camp of people that decide disseminate this sort of thing but if you did that's like a third layer <laughs> but if you sat through the whole thing and, and decided for yourself that you know oh well this the you know i'm spoiled now i might as well watch the whole thing it's like well give yourself a little present later on next time you know and just stop however far in that you realize this is the title sequence or any other thing like this just stop for a second and, and just realize it give yourself a little surprise you know maybe you were spoiled for that few first few seconds but you can still watch the rest of it so, I don't know. I kind of want to get your ideas on this. I kind of want to have a conversation about this because I have nobody else to talk about this with. So, And this is kind of way more exciting than recapping the episode. There are some hot takes, or not hot takes, there's some really good ideas that, that were spoken about in this episode. Things relating to Althea being the outsider. The way Morgan kind of goes through, this, through the motions throughout this episode. What it takes for him to kind of get unstuck. And what we unexpected, I mean, not unexpectedly, I mean, I don't think it's complete surprise how this ended up, but I think the way it kind of unfurls the way we have to start start to recognize certain beats in how um morgan is expresses his eventual unstuckness and and also his the certain markers that seal the fact that he's never going to go back those things are very noteworthy because you start to realize that and this is something i said in the last episode that if you take a if you you're at the end of the episode now turn around and look at the entire episode now it's not entirely about Morgan this season of season four of Fear the Walking Dead, but in a way, I mean, if you had to sum it up in a few words, it kind of sounds it would sound really shitty to the average person, you know. Um, in one sentence, um, this this season is sort sort of a love letter entirely to Morgan and good people, you know, solid long running characters died along the way. It sounds shitty, um, but what you have to kind of take away from all this is that yes, it's a love letter to Morgan. But if it is a springboard for Fear the Walking Dead to continue and do incredible things in the future, um, I'm willing to see that through because if Morgan is going to be a power player in Fear the Walking Dead, and then also in all the seasons that he was on, or, you know, all the scenes and seasons that he was in The Walking Dead, being all screwed up, being faux-fixed, um, but you know that he wasn't really fixed. I mean, apparently when you get to season eight, it's kind of like, well, it didn't. that didn't take. And you kind of got the thought in the back of your mind that this is not really a Zen Morgan. As much as he's okay and somewhat stable... 
stable is one thing but but you know on the veneer but he kind of wasn't really there this new real morgan that really knows where his mind could go if left unchecked but a, a morgan that wants to be with people that wants to be a part of the world as a as a human as a real human being not this fake you know kind of like now when he doesn't kill people it, it's for a really specific reason it's not because somebody told him not to it's not to prevent the monsters from coming out he doesn't do it because he's it's a principle you know it's it's something that he decided for himself not some you know the art of uh was it the, the book he was trying to give to nick about um i forgot the not the art of war but the art of something or other it, it was that small book that he tried to give to nick to kind of um the, oh the art of peace that's right no nobody told me that because i can't see your chats um but um you know he's living his own his own way he's, he's figuring out along the way and part of that is is involving himself with people so i kind of do want to see how the series go, goes moving forward because to unstick morgan for a series like this to to unstick morgan where the walking dead couldn't is huge and we all love morgan we love the idea of him his character is so damn interesting his has always been interesting and his his character has not been any less interesting in this in this season in fact it takes every the, the one thing that has stayed consistent at least from beginning from front to back beginning to end is, is ben morgan uh even before he got on during and then all the way at the end now maybe fear the walking dead itself as a show hasn't been consistent obviously people call it a reboot i don't call it a reboot really i i think it's really just more of a direction that they're going in a reboot implies going backward and rewriting history and and recasting and then pretending certain narratives don't exist i don't think that's true i think it's just the direction people move in and sometimes that direction is drastic and maybe we need to connect with those feelings or maybe you know maybe we need to go through it and maybe we need to have a conversation about that you know at least before the walking dead comes on but but i think that i mean there are some things that i wish they spend a little bit more time on i wish they didn't i wish the back half didn't feel more rushed that it was maybe a little bit more developed i really do wish that they had <clears throat> that they had joined the two halves of the season together in some form or fashion to kind of give it some sort of to contiguousness instead of being so um almost separated from each other like almost apart from each other um i think that would have been a lot more powerful um but i'm gonna take it as it as it was given because a lot of the season was kind of like a wait and see a lot of the rest of the season at least and you could draw conclusions from the beginning but in the last half it was really difficult and and as things again as i mentioned in previous episodes kind of came together like a just jigsaw puzzle i mean I, I i'll accept it there was good well thought out um very um creative way of kind of weaving a story um and overall it was a really good season and um and honestly uh like follow subscribe comment send me i mean sign up for notifications so that you know when when, when i go on when um squawking dead goes on again you can always go to the website squawkingdead.com and get to everything from there uh, but we're on youtube facebook instagram and apparently now periscope <laughs> You can get our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Music, Google Play Music, and basically anywhere you can get podcasts. You can sign up for RSS feeds. Again, you fearheads, I need to know what you think. I need to have a conversation with you because I think we need to talk about everything. We need to get it out of our system so that we can talk about maybe because I have nobody to talk to about this. <laughs> Carol refuses. So with that, everybody, I wish you a really good evening. I apologize for not being able to be more interactive with you, but I promise you that the next time this comes around, at least on Fear the Walking Dead, I will be prepared to share everything with you. And with that, I wish you a good evening.